Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Hey there, it's Hillary. And if you're new to the show, I just want to take a moment to say welcome. And I want to give you some tips on what episodes to listen to to get you started. If you heard me tell my story on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, I want you to check out my interview with Terry. She talks in this really intimate way about why she didn't have kids. And there's this little moment in the interview that our staff has nicknamed Terry Gross's Nightmare. I love this moment so much. I love the whole interview. Just listen. It's episode 79. You might also like our series on natural birth. That's where I go back and try to figure out if I would have been better off with a C-section. And I confront the famous midwife, Ina Mae Gaskin, which she says will totally surprise you. That all starts with episode 27. And if you're considering having kids, starting a family, you're going to want to listen to 36 questions to ask your partner before having kids. That's episode 165. You can find our full Longest Shortest Time starter kit at LongestShortestTime.com. And that is also where you can learn more about my new book, Weird Parenting Wins, and find out if I'm coming to a city near you on my book tour. Okay, now on to the show with our host, Andrea Salenzi. When Kendra was little... She was the biggest history nerd. So even like in second grade, I was obsessed with World War II to the point where we had to have a parent-teacher conference because I had run through all of the age-appropriate World War II books and took Mein Kampf out of the library. (laughs) I didn't know where to go after where Hitler stole Pink Rabbit, and that was like kind of the next logical step. (laughs) As a kid who loved history, loved to read, and loved dolls, there was only one toy that Kendra ever wanted— It was an American Girl doll. Kendra had to have one. But in the 1990s, these dolls and their books used to cost about $115. For context, a trip to Disney World in the 90s, that used to be $25. I had been saving quarters, like hoarding them. And I think my mom and dad, like, felt bad for me and then went and bought the Felicity doll. If it wasn't for that doll... Who knows who Kendra would be as an adult? This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi. We've been thinking a lot about how toys leave a mark on us, especially dolls. There are these powerful objects, our tiny mock children, who test and tax the caregiving abilities of children and parents alike. 
Today on the show, three different stories about the strong emotions dolls provoke in us, told with help from Hillary Frank's husband, Jonathan Menhivar, our colleague's grandma, Grandma Bertha, and up first, the ultimate American Girl doll superfan. And a heads up, this first story isn't for kid listeners. We have some adult language and themes. If you're listening with kids, you might want to skip ahead to about halfway into the episode. Kendra's first American Girl doll was Felicity, the redhead who lives in colonial Williamsburg. Felicity longs for independence, just as the American colonists longed to be independent from England. Kendra really loved all the accessories that came with the doll. She loved the historically accurate silk blue formal dress. She loved the toy version of Felicity's horse Penny. And she loved the books. Every American Girl doll came with a set of books. They're supposed to give you an idea of what life was like in each girl's time period. Each book focuses on the same six major events for each girl. So there's Meet Felicity, Felicity Learns a Lesson, Felicity's Surprise, Happy Birthday Felicity, Felicity Saves the Day, and Changes for Felicity. After I got Felicity, like the rule was there's six books that come with each doll. I had to read all of them before I could actually get the doll. Kendra dove into her next set of books. These were about Addie Walker, an American girl whose family plans a dangerous escape from slavery in the summer of 1864. That book, like, scarred me for life. It was incredibly, like, it's still, the reading level is still the same, but somehow it's just 10 times more graphic. There's this one part where she's working in the tobacco fields on the plantation, and the overseer, like, doesn't like something that she does and makes her, as punishment, eat one of the tobacco worms that lives on the underside of the tobacco leaves. And I, like, vividly remember that scene, reading that for the first time. Addie Walker was the company's first black doll. At the time, most black dolls, even those manufactured by black-owned companies, would have long, straight hair. But not Addie Walker. Having that was like a really big deal for me because I did not have any other dolls that had hair texture um, like mine or that looked like me in general. Addie's textured hair had been a huge debate at American Girl headquarters. In Slate, reporter Aisha Harris interviewed a former board member who fought for textured hair by bringing up historical accuracy. She remembers saying that if American Girl gave Addie straight hair, then they'd have to deal with explaining to children the rape of black women during slavery. Any American Girl doll fan would know that in 1860, you couldn't buy a hot comb. Addie's books didn't just take on racism, but even discrimination within Black communities based on skin shade. Kendra was obsessed. Her books were also sort of my first introduction to colorism, like within the Black community, because there's a, like her school foe. She's always drawn as like lighter skin and her parents are like part of sort of the freedmen's like black elite in Philadelphia. And so that was sort of my first introduction to like that whole world, which was really interesting because I had no context for that whatsoever in the community that I grew up in. After Felicity and Addie, Kendra kept reading the American Girl doll books because for every six books she knocked out came another amazing doll. Eventually, she had eight. The rule that I had to read them all at that point was kind of backfiring on my parents because I had read them all and I just expected the dolls. (laughs) Like, you made a deal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Kendra didn't stop with just the dolls. She wanted to take home every bit of historical fiction she was learning about. 
I think it's Addie had an ice cream maker and they talk about this ice cream maker in the book and they like go through the process of like what it was to do that by hand in the 1860s. It's like churning butter. So it was really like sort of the tangible like putting action to the words that you were reading. Back then, all things American Girl doll were made by the Pleasant Company. Yeah, they're like a Wisconsin-based company, Midwest. Kendra even studied their history. They really were started as like a learning tool sort of situation. Like Pleasant Roland, the founder, really believed in using these dolls for like educational purposes. American Girl founder Pleasant Roland. From its inception, it was a doll company, a toy company, a clothing company, a publishing company, and a direct mail company all at once. She's speaking at an anniversary event truth, for the company in a blue vision, silk blouse with a pop collar. She looks a lot like someone who sold their toy company for $700 million. And anything that was good for girls was ours to give them. Mattel bought them in the late 90s, I think like 98 or 97. So after Mattel bought them, the quality dropped precipitously. <laughs> she remembers her mom telling her about the merger. Right away, Kendra noticed the changes. Furniture was like no longer like real wood. It was like a lot of laminate, plastic, all that stuff. Addie's hair was a huge thing um, because Addie's hair is now really soft and silky. American Girl fandom, though, stayed an important part of Kendra's identity, which is why the summer after her first year of college, Kendra got an idea for the perfect summer job. You don't need a special reason to go. Just a special girl. Spend the day together at an American Girl store. and you'll Kendra was hired at the American Girl doll store in New York City. I did not think this was a retail job. I thought that this was like an educational position. I'll be teaching these young children like all about these amazing time periods. Did you think you'd be handing a little girl Addie Walker and explaining colorism? Yes. No, like totally like that. And then like I thought like, it was going to be awesome because I was going to get to talk to, like, girls about Samantha Parkington and, like, talk about, like, the shirtwaist triangle factory. The American Girl place on Fifth Avenue was very pink. Like, a cotton candy ballerina tea party had exploded on every single wall. Kendra was immediately drawn to the third floor, where they kept the historical dolls set up like a little museum. But Kendra was assigned to the fourth floor which was the place where girls would come with their dolls and, like, get their pictures with their dolls taken. We would, like, print it out on sticky photo paper and then, like, paste it on top of a current American Girl magazine. The photo studio wasn't exactly a teaching position, but still, it's a place to have your love for your dolls immortalized. How sweet. That is the first place I ever heard a child in real life tell her mother to go fuck herself. So, like... And what was that about? Um, so they had come in from Pennsylvania. They had taken, like, an eight-hour-long bus ride, like, that day. She couldn't hold all the dolls in her arms and fit it in the camera. And, like, her mom suggested, like, very sensibly, okay, why don't you put one doll, choose one doll to come out of the scenario? And she told her mother to go fuck herself. <laughs> and then was like, you ruined it all, and called her mother by her first name, which I had just, like, never heard before. You ruined it all, Deborah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, like, I would hear stuff like that on a fairly regular basis. And just, like, kind of the level of spoiled kids that I had just never run into before, like, even, or at least not at that age when you're spoiled and you're eight, you just have no frame of reference for, like, what is appropriate and what is not. And I think that contributed to, like, a lot of the craziness that we saw. Even when Kendra 
did get the chance to fill in on the historical floor. She spent less time imparting wisdom than diffusing tantrums. You would see girls just, like, going for more stuff and, like, a lot of horses and all the the push carriages and the backpacks and, like, all that stuff. The books are all there. They're not going for the books. I really thought, like, the kids that came there to buy these dolls, like, were all there because, like my parents, their parents had made them read the books. And I thought it was, like, still really, like, an educational learning tool. And I'm sure that that is still the case with some girls now. Like, I'm sure there's still girls who are, like, just so deep into history and, like, love the dolls for that reason. I did not meet any of those girls at the American Girl Place. (laughs) It is at this point, like, they are Barbie dolls. During training, Kendra remembers that she and her coworkers were required to read two of the American Girl books. And that's when she realized that no one else had ever read them before. On her first day at work, one of her coworkers referred to the doll Felicity as Felicia. In her diary at home that night, Kendra wrote that that coworker was a complete monster. You can probably tell, like, I was, like, super snooty about this whole thing and, like, kind of stuck up. I'd only done one year at college, but I had done three years at this New England prep school. So, like, I was a very gross person. <laughs> Kendra got the feeling that most people at work didn't like her that much. One of her coworkers was always nice to her. Samara, not a real name, did things like invite Kendra to go to Dallas Barbecue with everyone after work or to come to her baby shower, which Kendra was told was also going to be a sex toy party. I was like, what is that exactly? Um, it, I, it was explained to me that it was like a Tupperware party, but for your pussy. Then <laughs> I was like, I, I still don't really know what that means. Kendra made an excuse that she couldn't make it. But Samara offered to bring her something from the party anyways. The next day, I came into work. I was downstairs. It was one of the days where I was able to go work on the historical floor before the store opened. And I was sort of like just doing everything, like rearranging displays and all this stuff. It was very quiet. And I suddenly like feel something poking me in the back. Oh, no. Um, No, 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 no. And... I turn around, Samara is holding a dildo (laughs) on the floor of the American Girl store. So, like, we're surrounded by children's toys, and she's holding a dildo. All the dolls kind of turn their heads at once. Right. (laughs) She handed it to me. She's like, I bought this for you. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. I literally didn't know what to do. Samara, like, forces the thing into my hand, and then she, like, turns and goes back upstairs. I'm standing there. I have a pink dildo in my hand. So I, as well, run upstairs back to the photo studio because the store is about to open and I'm like looking for someplace to put this. So I just shoved it in the door of the cashier stand with the POS system. (laughs) And I come back the next day and the dildo is still there. I think that, like, everyone knew that this was kind of, like, a joke that we're playing on this, like, terrible, like, prissy, like, Jack and Jill-esque black girl. Like <laughs> The dildo stayed in the drawer all summer long. No one ever mentioned it to Kendra. And when Kendra left to go back to college, she was too afraid of having her bag searched by security to take it with her. The next summer, she came back to work at the American Girl Place. Checked the drawer. The dildo was gone. Kendra worked at the American Girl Place for four summers. The Mattel of it all has changed it so much. The company had changed, 
and so had Kendra's feelings about this new fleet of dolls. But the OG Pleasant Company ones are still on her mom's couch. Oh, yeah. She has them displayed in the living room, um, like in the living room that no one is supposed to sit in, which is a living. That's the room in every black house. Every mom has them, yeah. (laughs) And every year when I go home for Christmas, I'll usually like redo their hair and like dust off their clothes or whatever. In her family, American Girl dolls are still a fond memory. Kendra's need for more costumes gave her mom a reason to teach her how to sew, even though at the time, Kendra did not care. No teenage girl, like, actually wants to know what their mom has to tell them. But so all of those sewing lessons, that has really, like, followed me through into adulthood. Now in her 30s, Kendra puts the skill to use, usually when she's dressing up for Comic-Con, where she likes to do costume play. I'm now a cosplayer, and, like, I make historical clothes, like, regularly. I made the Angelica Schuyler dress from Hamilton for Comic-Con, like, two years ago. It's a pink ballroom gown with white ruffles around the neckline and the sleeves. The last time she went home, Kendra took a picture of herself wearing it while holding up her Felicity doll. Two old friends in 1700s-style dresses. As adults, sometimes your childhood dolls can be a stark reminder of how you've grown apart from your childhood self. But with Kendra, it was the dolls that changed. While she stayed the same, history-loving American girl. In a bit, what to do when your daughter comes to you with her American Girl doll and says, Daddy, can you save her life? A suburban dad tries to be a hero. Stay with us. (laughs) Advertisements. Welcome back. Our next guest is a friend of the show, a devoted father, professional radio producer, an impeccable dresser, a Britpop enthusiast. I'm Jonathan Menhivar. More relevant to listeners of our show. I'm Hillary Frank's husband. Now, we don't greenlight our boss's spouse to come on the show for any old parenting crisis. This one is a true toy emergency. Here's Jonathan. So here's where this all starts. One day, Hillary and Sasha were walking home and they passed a yard sale at our neighbor's house. And I think it was like towards the end of the day. And it was that time period at a yard sale when people are just trying to get rid of stuff. They're just giving all of their shit away. And Sasha loves yard sales. Like I have to hide yard sales from her because she wants something all the time. Sasha was drawn to this toy, and he was like, just, yeah, just take it. And Hillary was like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. And he was like, no, 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 it's just just have it. Like, you don't have to pay for it, it's fine, just take it. And it was this ball the size of maybe a kid-sized basketball made up of a bunch of other little balls, little spiky balls that stuck together. This toy didn't come with a box, so the little spiky balls never got a name. Each individual ball is probably about the size and color of a gumball. And they've got these little spikes with a hook at the end. The tips look like little umbrella handles that can easily hook on to other little umbrella handles. Think Velcro, but supersized and a ball. Sasha kept them on a shelf in the back of her closet. And sometimes Jonathan would find a few balls on the floor when he'd go in to get her laundry. And then a month ago, she came to me. She was like, Daddy, we have a problem. And I said, okay, 
I don't think we can deal with it right now, but what is it? And she held up her American Girl doll. She has one American Girl doll. It's a very special thing she got from her grandmother a couple years ago. And the doll's hair was just standing straight up, like six inches up. And I looked in, and all of these little balls were stuck inside the hair. And I tried to pull one out, and it was just like, it was going nowhere. And it was it was very clear, like, that we might lose the doll. <laughs> like, there was, I didn't know how we were going to fix it. Um, but I promised her we would. How difficult are these guys to get out? I mean, out? you can't, you can't pull them out with your fingers at all. And... They're so in there that I, I can't even tell how many are in there. It's just like a, a knot of hair, really, and then you can feel that there is all this plastic in there. But I had no idea what I was actually getting into. Once Jonathan sat down and started trying to slowly work these little balls out of the doll's hair, he found that it was impossible. Made gum look easy. So... I finally Googled spiky toy stuck in a doll's hair. Um, <laughs> like I, one of those Google searches where you just include as many words as possible in the hopes that it turns up something. And immediately what it turned up was this exact toy caught in the hair of not a doll, but an actual little girl. And it was an an instructional video of how to get these things out, which I discovered were called bunchums. If bunchums get caught in your hair, please follow these simple steps for removal. In the video, the hair model sits with her back to the camera. No fidgeting, no complaining, no tears. There are 12 bunchums in her hair, and within 48 seconds, with help from some crafty editing, the last bright red bunchum is charmed off her head. Apply the conditioner to the areas of hair where your bunchums are stuck. And then you you kind of start combing from that point out. And then eventually, like, the bunchum will start to slide out. If they aren't budging, apply a little more conditioner and continue to comb below the bunchums before attempting to remove. For the next three weeks, this became Jonathan's nightly ritual. Like, after we put Sasha to bed, after the dishes were done, like, once we sat down to watch the Americans or whatever it is we were watching... I would, for hours, put conditioner into the hair, slowly, slowly comb it out. Was there something satisfying about it? Yeah. I'm a radio producer, and so, and I'm working on a super long-term project, and it's not going to be done for months. And so much of it is head work. And so it's it's super satisfying to, like, come home <laughs> and slowly comb the hair of a doll and and see, like, oh my god, I'm like, I'm making progress. A thing is happening. I can see it in front of me. This doll will soon not have bunchums in her hair. Would Sasha watch? No, it was, it was, she help? No, 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 no. I think it would have driven me crazy if she sat and watched me. It was a thing I'd, I'd do in private. Battle of the Bunchums became a hobby for Jonathan, a kind of solo meditation that only he knew how to perform. Until one night, Jonathan was on Instagram. I saw my friend Rick on his Instagram story had a series of pictures of bunchums 
In the first photo, you see Rick's daughter, Amelia. She's 11, sitting on a couch with her shoulder-length hair in two braids. On the top of her head is a crown of bunchums. What happened was uh, we had just gotten to my mother's house, and I, my older daughter, who's 11, was pouting about something. And she went to the living room and was reading. And my mother has toys on her living room table because my nieces and nephews come to visit her sometimes. Just, you know, things for them to play with. Rick reached for this gob of spiky, colorful balls, and he started forming them into different fun shapes. And that's when he got this idea for how to cheer up his daughter, Amelia. I had maybe 40 or 50 in my hand, and they looked a little bit like that little hat. And I thought, this will be funny. And I grabbed it, and I put them on my daughter's head, and I said, now you've got a hat on. The little hat was made of bunchums. And then the next thing I knew, um, they did not come out. What's so great about the pictures is that you can tell by the series of them that they have no idea what they're entering into. That, like, the first picture is just, like, a picture of his daughter with a ball about the same size as the ball that we had, just, like, stuck in her hair. And it's like, look, it's so funny. Daddy put this thing on my head. And then the next picture is, like, the oh shit moment of these things are actually stuck and I don't know what we're going to do. You know, I was trying to make my daughter's life less miserable. I was trying to cheer her up and I did not achieve that goal (laughs) in any way, shape or form. If you read over the Amazon reviews for Bunchems, you'll see phrases like burrs of havoc. One parent called them a toy spawned from the darkest depths of hell. Another parent jokes, must only be played on hard surfaces with bald children. There's hair to stick to. These toys will find it. We tried very hard to get her to eat her dinner, but when she said she wasn't interested, I wasn't going to push on that. I think that night she got candy and then just some ice cream and sprinkles. It was such a haze and such a blur of, of madness. And there were so many in her hair. Have you guys been able to laugh about it yet? We, we tell our children lots of stories, which we put in the category of Parent of the Year Awards. The first Parent of the Year Award I was given, I think our daughter, our older daughter was probably two. And she was not interested in eating whatever I was giving her. So she wanted tomatoes. And I was like, man, tomatoes are good for you. And then she wanted a clementine orange. I was like, clementine oranges are good for you. And then she threw up over everything because I hadn't sort of thought about how much acid I had just given her. I'll spare you guys the rest of the wet details here, but maybe you get this. In Rick's house, parent of the year is a very sarcastic title. (laughs) Therein was the first parent of the year award granted to me. The time I let my daughter sleep and vomit. That night on Instagram, Rick and Jonathan joked that Bunchum should be legal. Like, who thought it'd be a good idea to model a toy after Sandburrs? But for Jonathan, this was a win. It gets put in the category of of dad hero moments. It's certainly, I think, like the the most impressive toy-fixing thing I've ever heard done. Was Sasha so happy to get her doll back? You know what? I... No, she was like, oh, thanks. And I don't, I haven't seen her comb this doll's hair since. (laughs) I don't know. 
I think it's one of those things that, like, by the end, mattered a whole lot more to me than it ever did to her. Right, because as she gets older, there are going to be more problems yeah. that are harder and harder to, to solve. That's what's easy about tackling a thing like this, even if it was going to take me you know, five or six hours over several weeks, like, I knew exactly what I had to do. Where are the Bunchums now? Uh, the dump. <laughs> we got rid of them. Shortly after we spoke with Jonathan, he sent us a note. Sasha found three more Bunchums in the back of her closet. In a bit, Cody did something terrible when she was little. Something she regrets. So, we'll give her a chance to finally call her grandma. 30 years later, and say she's sorry. Don't go away. Say advertisement. Advertisement. Good job. (laughs) And we're back. Now, at the start of the show, we told you that toys carry symbolic weight in our lives. And I was talking about this with my colleague at Stitcher, Cody. When Cody was a kid, a toy inspired a reaction in her that she still thinks about, still feels bad about. So I brought her into the studio with me to tell the story. Listen, this takes a dark turn. Um, Am I a monster? I don't know. You guys decide. When Cody was a little kid, her best friend was her grandma, Bertha. She was like a friend that you could just talk. We just gab, like, what is going on? Her mom was only 21 years old when she had Cody. So Cody spent a lot of time at Grandma Bertha's while her mom was at work. When Cody was upset, Bertha knew how to make tuna sandwiches with extra sweet pickles and the crust cut off. So Grandma Bertha knew, when Cody was three years old, exactly what to get her for Christmas. My baby has a real diaper. You can love and care for them like your very own. I love you. They're each one of a kind. At only three years old, TV ads had turned Cody into a Cabbage Patch expert. There was something special about it because you got the adoption papers. They came out of an actual Cabbage Patch. (laughs) It felt like a cartoon without it yet being a cartoon. The commercials even trained kids on how to avoid knockoffs. And then I do know the tattoo on its butt. The Xavier Roberts tattoo was the defining thing of a Cabbage Patch. That's how you knew it was the real deal. When Cabbage Patches came out, everyone wanted them. People were standing in line outside of, like, toy stores and Toys R Us for hours and hours and hours waiting to get these dolls for Christmas. Welcome to another holiday shopping season. When the doors opened at this Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania store, the pushing and shoving began. One woman was knocked to the floor and suffered a broken leg. This scene has been repeated in hundreds of stores across the country. That that Christmas, Cody's grandma Bertha ventured out at the height of the Cabbage Patch craze. She decided to do for Cody what she couldn't afford to do when she was raising Cody's mom. She splurged for one of these dolls. And what happened next is what Cody wants to apologize for. Yeah, I probably should. (laughs) I feel stressed out about it now. I'm like, oh, God, my poor grandma. Hope she answers. Hello. Hi, Grandma. Hi, baby. It's me, Cody. I know you know, but... Yes, I know it's you. (laughs) Here's how Bertha remembers that Christmas. So I went to Toys R Us, 
and stood in the line for hours to order the Cabbage Patch doll because they were out. I waited about three weeks, and they finally came in, and I came in and got it. I wrapped it, and at Christmas time, little Miss Cody opened it up, and the first thing she did was check the pants, hold the pants down for the signature, and it wasn't there. And she came unglued. Remember, the commercials told Cody it wasn't a real Cabbage Patch doll, without that signature on the doll's butt. Little Cody wasn't a fool. She threw the doll, and I said, Cody, wait, wait. <laughs> I didn't want her to break it. Across the table from me, adult Cody is pale with shame. She can't even look me in the eye. I said, I'll take it back, I promise, I promise. So after Christmas, I stood in a line for another couple hours, returning the doll to Toys R Us. And it took a while, and they finally said, well, it's a fake. And I had to show them the receipt. They had to make sure that I bought it there. And I says, oh, yeah. And I said, my granddaughter is so upset. And I said, and you guys have to fix this. And so they had to reorder a doll. And when she finally got it, she was the happiest little girl in the world. Oh, my gosh. She took it everywhere she went. It was unreal. You were you were obsessed with that doll. Where is this on the scale of things little Miss Cody put you through? Oh, my God. Cody doesn't put me through a lot, except she was spoiled rotten. <laughs> her grandfather loved her to death. <laughs> That's true, yes. So, Cody, when you when you feel bad about this memory, you remember acting like, kind of a brat, being a little monster. What do you think is actually making you feel bad? I think now that I'm older, I mean, I don't have any children of my own, so I don't fully appreciate it. But I just know I don't have the time to go stand in line and wait for things. If there's like a line outside of a restaurant, I'm like, yeah, right. And I don't know how many people I would wait in line for something for. And so the fact that when I think about you waiting in line and now realizing the part of the story where you went back and had to wait in line to return it and reorder makes me feel really bad and then really grateful that you did all that. <laughs> I realize now, as an adult woman, that maybe my actions were of a terrible monster and I want to apologize for how I acted. You Just- may see. You didn't appreciate your grandma then those days, but now you do. Now you're right. I think I'm sure you told me that you'll appreciate me someday. And here we are, <laughs> 35 years old. I finally appreciate my grandmother. Finally, finally, she appreciates it now. That's that's a good thing. I'm happy to hear that she remembers that. All that. <laughs> Cody is my colleague here at Stitcher. She produces the shows How Did This Get Made and Womp It Up. And she still talks to her grandma, Bertha, every day. Bertha, is there something Cody could wait in line to get you? Oh, gosh. I never thought about that. You'll never admit it. If there was a new Game Boy, you would maybe be interested. She's a real game head. Yeah. So everyone, call your mom, call your dad, call your grandma. Thank them for your old toys. And then get those old toys out of the closet, because who are you fooling? You haven't outgrown anything. 
and neither has your grandma. And she's like one of the only people I know that beat Super Mario Brothers 2. Oh, yeah, I did. I would stay up at night. I lose sleep so I could play my game. We want to hear from you. What's the toy that's left a mark on you in adulthood? Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 189. You're a maniac. <laughs> this episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. We were edited by Amy Drostovska with the helping hand from our show's creator and executive producer, Hilary Frank. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. Our technical director is John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, when Nicole Chung was a kid, people always stopped her white parents at the grocery store to ask, oh, wow, where'd you get her? Every time it happened, her dad made the same joke. It was, if you put a Pole and a Hungarian together, you get a Korean. It was his way of shutting down, I think, nosy questions. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Be sure to subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your surprising stories. This week, we're looking for stories about your vasectomy. Are you laboring over whether or not to get one? How did you decide to get one? And have you ever had to throw one in reverse? Tell us. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the Participate tab, and submit your story. Stitching!